Astounding as it may seem, the Lord God of heaven, he wants to come into your life. He pursues fellowship with the righteous. He pursues fellowship with those whom he makes right through faith and faith in Jesus. And he wants to do that for you. He wants to enjoy friendship and fellowship with you. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. We're continuing our study of Abraham, and today we've come to uh, Genesis chapter 18, a message called The Friend of the Righteous. And, you know, Jonathan, to me it's kind of mind-blowing that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, wants a relationship with us. And he makes a way for us to have that relationship with him, even though we have sinned. And we see that even going all the way back to uh, near the beginning of the Bible story and the story of Abraham. That's right. God relentlessly pursues Abraham, despite sometimes Abraham's folly and, and his slowness to respond in faith to what God is doing in his life. But it's lovely to see how God patiently and persistently pursues this man. And I think it gives us hope because so often we are wandering away from the Lord and slow to respond to God's words. So often we, frankly, rebel in our hearts against what he's calling us to do. Uh, so often we we fail to see his great love for us in Christ, but God pursues us in his kindness. And, and what a wonderful thing that is to see in Abraham and indeed in our own lives too. Well, we are going to see that in Abraham's life today in Genesis 18. So grab a Bible and join us there as we begin our message, The Friend of the Righteous. Here is Jonathan. Whenever a new relationship is established, a friendship or a romance, a business partnership, a, a relationship on a team or within the community, whenever a new relationship is established, it takes a little while just to see how the dynamics of that relationship will be played out over time. What will it look like to be a friend of this person? How, how will we interact together? How responsive will this person be to my fears or concerns? How will they respond to my weaknesses, even my failures. It takes a little while, and sometimes on the journey of discovery, there can be unpleasant surprises. Sometimes there can be wonderful reassurances, too. Abraham entered into a very special relationship with God back in Genesis chapter 12. You remember it? God tapped him on the shoulder, told him to leave his, his homeland and his, his family, his extended family, and, uh, and go to the place that God would call him to, and Abraham went. Then in Genesis chapter 15, God reaffirmed his promise, and Abraham took God at his word, and the Lord, we are told, counted Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified before God by his faith. He was placed in right standing before God the judge, and God entered into a, a covenant relationship with him, a relationship of a settled commitment, an unbreakable bond, marked by the sign of circumcision back in the previous chapter, in chapter 17. And so now Abraham is living as a forgiven person, a justified person in right standing before God in covenant relationship with him. Abraham is a righteous man, not meaning, of course, that he is unusually good or virtuous, but rather that God has counted him righteous by faith. God has given him this gift of righteousness. The covenant relationship has begun. 
It has been established. But now we ask the question, what is it going to look like as time goes by to live in this kind of covenant relationship with the God of heaven? What kind of time and attention will this great God have for his servant? How will God react to his weaknesses and failings? How will he respond to his requests and his pleas? Well, here in Genesis chapter 18, we begin to see some of these relational dynamics work themselves out. We begin to see what it looks like even to live as a friend of God. And for us who have been made righteous through faith in Jesus, this chapter contains for us deep insight into what it's going to look like for us to live in vital relationship with the God of heaven above. Three lessons then this morning about how the Lord relates to the righteous and how the righteous are to relate to him. First, we see here in a wonderful way that the Lord pursues fellowship with the righteous. There's something very special, isn't there, about visiting someone in their home, about someone else coming to your home, about sitting down for a a meal together. As people who have had this unusual experience of living through a global pandemic in our day, I think we appreciate all this afresh and perhaps in a deeper way. During the days of the pandemic, we've all known what it is to miss out on visiting others in their homes, on on having them visit us in our home. We've missed out on family get-togethers maybe. Perhaps we've missed out on Thanksgiving feasts. And perhaps the experience of pandemic living has taught us afresh and in a special way how much these things matter to us and how significant actually they are. I don't know if you've ever had a famous visitor come to your home. We have a, a picture in our house dating back to the 1930s of a day when King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, came to visit my wife's great-grandparents in their home in England. It's a pretty striking picture commemorating a pretty remarkable event. Not too often do the king and the queen and their royal entourage come over for tea, but that, that picture, that incident, memorable as it may be, it pales into insignificance in the light of what takes place here in this chapter in Genesis. The centerpiece of Genesis chapter 18 is a home visit paid by the God of heaven above to his servant Abraham, accompanied by two angels. It's surely the most remarkable home visit that has ever been made. Picture the scene. Abraham is sitting by the door of his tent in the, in the heat of the day. He's cooling himself in the shade, perhaps after a busy morning, checking over his business operations, maybe chatting occasionally with members of his extended household who may happen to go by. This is probably a daily pattern for him. We don't know. But today, it, it turns out to be a little bit different. It's an unusual day. While he sits at the door of his tent, lo and behold, the Lord himself appears to him. We're told that there are three men who come. Two of them are apparently angels. We learn that from chapter 19 and verse 1. But the Lord is clearly there, chapter 18 and verse 1. And Abraham, he seems to recognize that right away. He runs from the tent door. He bows himself to the ground and calls his visitor Lord, verse 3. Now, remember, Abraham, he's he's an old man, about 100 years old now, and he's a man of stature in the region. He doesn't run and bow to the ground before everyone who passes by his tent. 
but he sees that he's got some special visitors today. And so with a hospitality that goes beyond any normal degree of Middle Eastern hospitality, he entreats them to come in to have a meal, to sit down, and they agree. So he rushes to Sarah and he says, could you, could you get baking, please? And he, and he runs out to the herd and he finds a calf to slaughter and, and the food is prepared and he sets it before them. And then as a servant, in humble respect, he stands by them while these guests sit and eat. And so in these brief moments, Abraham and his family gained the remarkable distinction of having had not the, the king and the queen to tea, but the Lord and his angels to a feast in their own home. It's certainly one for the record books, a story to tell the grandchildren. If the opening scenes of the Bible teach us anything about human life, they teach us that human beings were made for relationship with God. We were made for fellowship with our Maker. We were made to enjoy that. You may remember how at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God came down to walk and to talk with Adam in the cool of the afternoon. There was something wonderfully wholesome and, and right about the first human being enjoying that time of fellowship with the God who made him. But we know that things changed. That time of innocence and joy soon came to an end. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They rebelled against him and were sent out from his presence. But God was not done with humanity, and he hadn't given up on the idea of friendship and fellowship with God. In fact, in calling Abram and in declaring him righteous, in entering into this covenant with him, God was taking concrete steps to restore that which was lost in the fall. That, that's the bigger picture in the story of Abraham. And the image here in Genesis chapter 18 of the Lord dining at Abraham's table, it is a picture, isn't it, of restored relationship. It's a picture of barriers, the barrier of sin broken down. It's a picture of, of fellowship, even of friendship. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, we read that Abraham was called a friend of God. In fact, I think there are three occasions in the Bible where Abraham is called God's friend. I was reflecting on that as I studied the passage here in Genesis, this idea that the living God would make of flawed and fallen human beings, mere creatures, that he would make of a man a friend of his own, that, that God would come as a traveler to his tent and linger there for a meal. It's a remarkable idea when we sit back and think of it. But throughout the Bible, we do see that it is, in fact, the heart of God for his people. We see it, don't we, when God the Son becomes a human being and makes his dwelling among us and does so that we might know him. We see it, don't we, when Jesus sits down for that meal in the upper room with his disciples, and then when he extends the invitation to us to join in that meal as we gather around the table of our Lord. We see it when in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, the Lord says to a spiritually lukewarm people, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. We see it in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9, when we hear about the marriage supper of the Lamb to which the redeemed people of God are invited for a day yet to come. 
the idea that a sinful person could be a friend of God above, it comes into full flower in the New Testament. It's, a, it's the idea at the heart of the gospel, actually. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that he has called his disciples his friends. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Friend of the Righteous, taking a look at how the Lord relates to the righteous and how the righteous are to relate to Him. We're going to get back to this message in just one moment. hope you'll stay with us as we continue to dive into Genesis 18. If you ever miss a broadcast or part of a program, you can always come to the website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. And there you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. And we're able to stay on this station because of your generosity. As you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book that Jonathan's used with his own kids. It's called Everything a Child Should Know About God. I hope you'll stay tuned. We'll let you know a little bit more about this book later in the broadcast and how you can get your own copy. So stay with us. But right now, let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. Remarkable as it may seem, remarkable as it truly is, the God of heaven above, he desires friendship with each one of us. He desires friendship with you, and he desires friendship with me. I don't know your life story and your situation, but it may be, it may be the case that no one particularly goes out of their way to be your friend. Maybe that is a source of deep sadness in your life. I don't know. But if that happens to be the case, consider this, the God of heaven earnestly desires friendship with you. He's gone to great lengths, gone to great cost to make you his friend. He's not only traveled through the heat of the day in the Middle Eastern sun, no more than that, in the person of his son, he has entered our world. He has suffered scorn and abuse. He has died the death that we deserve, and He has borne our sin at the cross. That's the journey that He took to reach us. That is the extent to which, the lengths to which He went in order to reach us and redeem us. And He wants to feast together with us. He wants to welcome us into His presence. The story of the Bible, it leads to a banquet, a wedding banquet, when the Lord Jesus and His bride, the church, come together in a day of tremendous celebration. And here in Genesis chapter 18, we have a lovely picture of that desire and that intention. As the Lord approaches the home of His servant, and in Abraham's response to all this, we see a model for each of us to follow. Just notice how Abraham ran to meet his God, called him Lord, bowed to the earth, and gave the very best of his household, the best of what he had in store to welcome him. He honored the Lord, welcomed him with joy and humility and enthusiasm. It's a lesson for us. It's a simple one, but a profound one. It's a lesson, actually, for those who don't yet know the Lord, haven't yet welcomed him in. Astounding as it may seem, the Lord God of heaven, he wants to come into your life. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be welcomed into your home, and he wants to sit at the table of your heart. He wants to enjoy a banquet with you, and he invites you to his great banquet, to a feast in a day yet to come. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation. It's an open door, but you need to decide for yourself what will you make of it, and how will you respond to it? Will you welcome him in? Will you set aside any reservation, any rebellion of heart? 
And will you welcome him through faith in Jesus, his son who came to earth to pay the price of your sin? He pursues fellowship with the righteous. That's what we see here. He pursues fellowship with those whom he makes right through faith and faith in Jesus. And he wants to do that for you. He wants to make you right with him through his son. He wants to enjoy friendship and fellowship with you. I wonder, would you receive him? Would you welcome him in? Brothers, we've, we welcome Jesus in before now. We have made our heart his home. But like the lukewarm believers of Laodicea in Revelation 3, we, we find that the Lord is now standing at the doorway rather than sitting at the table. He hasn't left us, of course. He hasn't departed. But he's now standing outside and he's, he's knocking. And he wants us to repent of whatever it is that's kept him at a distance. He wants us to open the door, to welcome him in, to renew that friendship and that closeness. That's the, that's the invitation of that, that passage I mentioned earlier. Listen again to the Lord's invitation. Revelation 3 and verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And friends, thinking of this truth, the truth that God wants to sit with us and enjoy fellowship together, as, as you think of that truth, it may awaken something in your heart. It may stir something in your heart, I don't know. It may rouse a memory for you of what it was like knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord in days gone by. You remember days of warm fellowship with the Lord, enjoying time with Him in His Word at the start of the day, talking with Him in prayer. But as you think of that, as you think of days gone by and your fellowship with the Lord that you enjoyed, it is for you actually a wistful thought. It's a wistful thought because you know that things have grown cold of, of late. You know that you've been holding the Lord at a distance, either through, through sin or through distraction or inattention or something else. But that is actually the situation of your heart, and as you reflect on it, you recognize it. Well, if that's you, would you today, like Abraham, welcome him afresh with honor and with joy, with all that you have set before him, all the best of your life, at his disposal, would you do that? The Lord, he pursues fellowship with the righteous. But not only that, we learn here that the Lord is patient with the righteous. Often the test of a, a friendship comes when there is a setback or a disappointment or a failure of some kind. Most relationships in most spheres, they work out okay when things are uncomplicated, when pressure points aren't present. But what you really want to know about a new relationship is this. How is it going to go when things get complicated? Isn't that the question? How will it go when I let my friend down, when I, when I fail in some way, when I disappoint as I surely will? At this point in the story, we turn to Sarah, Abraham's wife. The visitors ask Abraham, verse 9, where, where is she? It turns out that she's nearby, able to hear what's being said, but currently out of sight, listening at the tent door. And, and the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And in response to that, because of the reality of her age, 90 and more, Sarah, verse 12, she laughs to herself. 
Now, we, here we have the Lord God Himself at the family table, speaking His great promise, reaffirming what He has said before, and Sarah's response, here it is, she laughs at the Word of God. It's not really ideal, is it? It's not the ideal response of faith. From, from a human perspective, we can perhaps understand it on one level. The whole thing would, of course, sound absolutely absurd were it not the Lord God Himself who was speaking the promise. But laughing at God's promise, it's never the way to go. And we remember at this point that Sarah's track record on this matter is not really all that great. Only a couple of chapters before now, she grew impatient with the fulfillment of God's plan, and she took matters into her own hands, giving her servant as a wife to Abram to speed on the purposes of God, and it was a total disaster. We remember the story. Well, the Lord, for His part, He doesn't get angry, He doesn't get upset, but neither does He just brush this off and ignore it. No, He pursues it just a little bit. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. The Lord doesn't get angry. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you're going to laugh at me and my word, I'll take my blessing elsewhere. Thank you very much. He actually, in his grace and in his kindness, he reaffirms his promise. Despite this graciousness, out of fear and probably out of some embarrassment, Sarah now makes things worse. She actually digs in deeper, verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. So now there is dishonesty on top of impertinence. The situation is getting worse. Perhaps now is the moment when the Lord will give up and walk out. Perhaps this is the moment when his temper will flare and his patience will run out. But how does the Lord actually respond? Well, He responds with extraordinary patience and with steadiness. End of verse 15. He said, no, but you did laugh. You did do that. But His plans, His purposes, His promises for Sarah, they remain unchanged. Despite everything, she is going to have Isaac. She will receive the promises of God. Her situation will remain unchanged before Him. What kind of a friend is God to His people, to those whom He has saved, those whom He has made righteous by faith, those with whom He has entered into a covenant relationship? Well, He is a gracious friend. He is a patient friend. He is a forgiving friend. That's what kind of friend God is. How will God treat His friends when they let him down when they fail him and when they do it again and again to the point where their failure becomes frankly embarrassing, even shocking. Will he lose his cool? Will he storm out, slam the door, never come back again? No, that's, that's not what he's going to do. No, no, that's, that's not what he's like. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, a message called The Friend of the Righteous. And if you want to go back and listen to this again or find out more about the broadcast, just stop by our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to stay on the station because of your generosity. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Everything a Child Should Know About God. Uh, so, Jonathan, sounds like a kid's book, but who is this book actually written for? 
Well, it is indeed for children, as the title suggests. It's a lovely overview of essential Bible truths about God. But it's a book not only that kids can read for themselves if they're readers, but it's a lovely book for parents to read with their children or grandparents to read with their grandchildren, maybe as a daily quiet time resource, a daily devotional resource. Uh, we found it to be hugely useful in our own family. We've used it with our kids and just loved it. So you used it with your own kids. Um, you, you felt like they were able to understand a little bit more of God because of that? Oh, absolutely. It takes simple truths from Scripture and puts them clearly in language that kids can latch onto and respond to. It's beautifully designed for that purpose and nicely written. Well, it is called Everything a Child Should Know About God. We'd love to send you a copy as you give a gift of any amount in support Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or give us a call at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.